Hello, this is Lucia Klaščincova, your host of Lights on Europe. You might have seen that there were elections in Slovakia a couple days ago. So we are looking into what happened. In particular, how is it possible that a coalition entity which won the European elections last year now failed and failed by 0.04%. That is something about 900 votes. Our guest is Martin Hojsik, who is one of the leaders. He's a member of the leadership of Progressive Slovakia and also member of the European Parliament. Very experienced campaigner and very committed to green agenda. So we are discussing not only what happened in terms of the political tactics in the Slovak regions, but also what are the odds of the incoming government truly pursuing the Green Deal and the ecological objectives that were communicated in the pre-election campaign. And as a cherry on top, I'm also asking what are the odds of Progressive Slovakia being ready for electing its first female chairwoman. Hi, Martin. Thanks uh, very much for accepting the invitation for this podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been a rather challenging week for you because of obviously the electoral result in Slovakia, which we will get to later. But probably one of the highlights of your week was uh, your meeting with Greta Thunberg. So I wonder if you're hoping humanity is reinstored after the meeting and how you moved through the disappointment over, over the political development in Slovakia, over to probably the green future of Europe, because all these layers are connected. So. Uh, to open with, uh, how do you feel now? I'm tired, I have to admit. It's been really, really intense uh, week. And uh, starting from the Green Week last week, it wasn't uh, for me only about kind of trying to help in the campaign as a, as a member of the party presidency, but actually doing what I'm supposed to do, meaning trying to help to address some of the environmental concerns in Slovakia, namely trying to help the people uh, in East who are affected by, jeez, uh, it's almost since 80s, early 80s, late 70s pollution with the PCB, so polychlorinated biphenyls. Which is what? Uh, which are hazardous chemicals. Uh, one of the so-called dirty dozen, which were the first chemicals banned globally. There was the toxic chemicals, highly persistent, so they stay in the environment for very, very long time. They bioaccumulate, meaning the higher up you are in the food chain, the more ends up in your body. And as humans, we are on top of the food chain. Uh, this is a particular concern. And there is a chemical factory which used to produce PCBs until 84. In Slovakia? In Slovakia, in the east, in Stražske, it's a small town. And uh, there is still waste from the production, including waste that is buried in the forest. And there is a contamination in the region. It's the region which is in the world uh, the worst contaminated PCBs. It's something which is a horribly sad story and for me uh, this is of a particular concern because it's a case that I used to work on as a Greenpeace campaigner 15 to 20 years ago and uh, there was a big hope at that time we managed to uh, help to secure uh, money from the Global Environmental uh, Facility of the World Bank for the best state-of-art non-combustion destruction of the old stockpiles with the outlook to also do uh, the contamination of the most polluted parts and uh, the project felt the contamination and the waste are still there. Which is obviously why Slovakia appreciates so much your commitment to the green topics, which is also why I guess you won the European elections last year and how, I mean, the commitment to the green issues that helped you win the elections and become an MEP. 
I wonder how do you see the future of green issues in Slovakia now that the coalition of progressive Slovakia and together didn't make it to the European Parliament and um, well we made it to the European Parliament to the, oh sorry to the national parliament and uh, yeah so the coalition stayed out of out of the national council in Slovakia and so now I wonder looking at the green programs and uh, the pre-election programs of the parties which will create probably the coalition in Slovakia what is your hope or fear in terms of them pursuing properly the environmental agenda in Slovakia? You know, on one hand, I can obviously say that I'm concerned. At the same time, it's a bit too early to judge. What I think is going to be crucial is that uh, we as a political party, but also the public and the civil society, keep up the pressure on the government, any government, even if we would win the elections. My hope always is that the public keeps the pressure on the politicians on the issue that matter, on the issues of environment and healthcare, the issues that are very important for a healthy civil society, they need to be expressed, they need to be communicated to the politicians. This is a very important feedback loop. You know, you have legitimate business lobby and equally uh, the public needs to have, so to say, its own lobby, its own pressure on the politicians yeah. uh, to keep us focused on the job. We're big fans of citizen lobby here. Actually, in a couple of weeks, we will release an episode with Alberto Alemano, who's a big uh, person in the field of empowering citizens to become effective lobbyists. So I th I'm sure that will be very insightful for our audience. And so I wonder, as a Slovak citizen, I'm sure you have looked at the programs of the parties that will be creating the coalition in Slovakia now. So what is your feeling? Obviously, as a politician, you cannot judge. But is there a feeling to, of a degree to which this is a big enough priority for them or the extent to which they have good enough experts in the parties in order to pursue the green agenda? On one hand, I have uh, concerns about the uh, expertise uh, on issues like climate. Uh, some of the programs were not that bad, but the problem was, in my view, that, or the challenge was, in my view, that uh, the parties uh, seem to have lacked the capacity actually to deliver them, or kind of how it was a case uh, which got me puzzled. Uh, the Olanovic won the elections of, of Igor Matovic uh, when there was a questionnaire from the climate coalition, so the group of NGOs uh, working on climate. They said that they want to phase out the use of gas by 2030. And I'm, you know, very strong and you know, kind of my view on the climate action uh, counts among the more radical ones because I believe really to follow the scientists we need to act uh, in a very rapid way. But I just kind of couldn't see much thought behind it and the plans how actually this can be delivered. I would because be very you're, happy. you're fearing that it's an unrealistic it's a, promise a, that can be delivered, that's, right? That's the thing. I would be super happy. I would be the happiest person if this is something which is going to get delivered. But the populist but promises are very risky. This, that's, that's, where, that's where I'm pointing, yes. That what we might see is several parties just might have in the field of environment populist promises and they will be not delivered. And that's where the civil society, but also the entire political scene, needs to pressure that, hey, you know, you promised something, so deliver. And this is, uh, in my view, very important because I believe that the, the programs and the, and the promises and the pledges made to public ahead of the elections 
should be taken very seriously. And us as a politicians, as an elected representative, I still kind of find it hard to count myself as a politician, but as elected representatives, we need to be held accountable. We need to do our utmost to deliver on, on what, what we promised to do. Not just say, you know, okay, we want to do everything for you, just vote for us and then forget for the next four or five, year, five years, depending on the length of the mandate. And so before you share with us probably your assessment of what went wrong in terms of your party coalition losing the elections now, maybe do you have an assessment of was it a mistake for progressive Slovakia to not be as aggressive in terms of the populist promises before the elections? Is that the recipe for success? kind of to compromise on the feasibility of your program and feed the public whatever, I mean, in a sense extremely sad, whatever you can think of in order to win the elections and then probably deliver on the parts of your promises. Is that something that you would judge as a lesson learned from these elections, that probably we should be less of a values-driven leaders before the elections were putting together the program? or? Are you still convinced that we have to absolutely abide to what we write in our program? You know, in, in even if we would succeed in the elections, I think it's always very important to look back and learn on how we can communicate better, how we can try to bring the messages across in a, in a better way, how we can reach public better. That's definitely a very important lesson to learn after every campaign. But actually, in terms of the kind of what you promise for me or what you pledge to do. For me, this is something crucial in politics. This is something where, you know, we don't want to compromise because this is not how things should be done. And yes, it might result in a failure, but uh, honestly, uh, I'm not going to go around lying to people. This is something which is about my own values. This is about the values of progressive Slovakia is that no, we are not, whatever the price, we are not gonna go out to lie to people or mislead them or, you know, say something which is not true uh, or which we kind of know we cannot deliver on. Of course, you know, you have a program which states your ambition and you never gonna be unless you govern but just by yourself able to deliver everything, but it needs to be feasible. It needs to be something which you can do and, you know, argue within the coalition government if there is one how this is something which is which is best for the country and i think this is really what we need in politics because ultimately yeah uh, people will see it through yeah and i guess this integrity and the new values is exactly what allowed progressive slovakia to win also the presidential elections and the local elections local victories beforehand where the people appreciated the the new style of politics being offered unfortunately wasn't enough this time around yeah it's it's you know uh, we had uh, we have our three young as a, as a political movement we we're very young and it's been very intense three years since we since we uh, came about and were, were found uh, since we were founded and in that process, we had a great success in the communal elections where we have the mayor of the capital. We basically had a great success in presidential elections where uh, Zona Chaputa was elected president, which was a fantastic thing in my view for the country, not just for the party, but for the country as someone with her values and, and her, so to say, history of and a track record of what she has achieved. For me, it's a guarantee of, of a president that will uphold the, the 
elementary values of a society and always remind us of these values and that's what the role of the president in Slovakia. So we were the first, we won the uh, European elections and I think this is, this is also a, a showcase of that this style of, of politics has a very important place in society and uh, sadly we uh, didn't make it in the parliament elections and part of the reason actually interestingly enough is you know uh, the Slovak electoral system is built in a way that the coalitions have a higher threshold than a single parties doesn't mean that there were not other coalitions running for the election but everybody was so to say you know, tricking the system, if I don't want to use the word cheating, tricking the system by essentially having the coalition on a list of a one party. So they were not running as a coalition. Without disclosing it in the name which would have well, to be in a different condition. No, they, were, they were saying, you can say, but the law says if the application is submitted by one party, you don't have to have only party members on the list. So they basically were people from different parties on one list. And since it was submitted by one party, you have a 5% threshold. As it was, as we, and if it's submitted by two parties, so if it's officially presented as a coalition to the authorities, then you have a 7% threshold. So it's another example when you want to try to pay, play and, fair. And we were playing fair, fair and, game, yeah. we, you know, and we basically uh, missed uh, 926 votes, if I'm correct by the number. Yeah. But that's basically what we were missing to make it in. If we would be, so to say, doing it as everybody else, then uh, we would be inside. And there were two, there are two more parties that are in the parliament that had less than us. So we didn't fail in a way of kind of, we lost the support. Uh, we failed in a way of uh, just not only missing the margin uh, and people were asking, okay, so why didn't you kind of bend the rules for you as everybody else did it? And I think in a way, I'm, I'm happy that we didn't because that's, this is how the system was set. It might not be the best way. It's something which comes from our, the times of our authoritarian prime minister, Vladimir Mecher, back in the 90s, uh, was uh, kind of trying to push out the democratic opposition with that, who formed a big coalition. But, uh, we might need, we should, might, I believe, you know, the system should be changed, but this was the system, so in a way we played by the rules. And thank you for that. Now I'm wondering, you as a professional campaigner, you've been with Greenpeace, you are a long professional, I don't know if the whole professional life, but Not a big whole, part of it, and so it, yeah. you're one of the go-to people when it comes to understanding the best tactics possible of doing any kind of campaign with the societies in Central Europe and in Slovakia. And so I wonder what is your assessment of what went wrong in, in your campaign this time around since you were massively successful in the European elections campaign and you very successfully um, served the wave of green movement that was kind of becoming more present in Slovakia as well. Now this time some of the people say that one of the reasons could have been that progressive Slovakia was trying to address the neo-Nazi kind of uh, extreme right movement in Slovakia while some other parties were more uh, banking on the anti-corruption fight. So is the choice of the the key core theme of the campaign one of the reasons for the failure or what are, what are the reasons for failure in your view? Honestly, I don't dare to judge it. Not just that, but for me, you know, the, the part of the reason is that 
Uh, as an MEP, I've been above all trying to do my job because I got the trust of the people. And uh, therefore, since the election, my primary focus was to deliver on my mandate as a member of European Parliament. So you were not involved in the national and campaign that I much? Was, I was not involved in the national campaign that much, simply because, I, of course, you know, I tried to support the Green candidates, I tried to support the party, but my job and job of my team is very straightforward to deliver on the mandate that we have in the European Parliament. And that's something which, you know, that's what I believe how the how the politics should be done. That's why it's hard to judge kind of what went wrong and how in the campaign. But on on the on the on the note of the of the fascists, I think this is something which I would not call it the theme of the campaign. For me, it was ultimately something which someone has to stand up for this. It's it comes to to us. It comes natural because progressive Slovakia is born uh, to large extent out of the uh, civil society, and this we we have number of members, including me, who were protesting against the fascists back in the nineties already. I got beaten up by the uh, Nazis in the nineties. So young guys. So this is something. Luckily, nothing horrible happened, but this is something where. It's in in our hearts, you know. So it's again an example of something where you shouldn't and wouldn't compromise on picking a topic or not, depending on whether it wins you votes or not. It just comes natural because it's the right thing to do. My my grandfather survived Mauthausen, and I cannot stand by and see the growth of this horrible beast again. And I think it's it's but it's you know people say oh you know you kind of you have these disenfranchised voters and so on and so forth. It's not for me. It's not about kind of uh, go uh, going after the the voters, but it's really uh, standing up against the neo-Nazis and 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 talking with maybe with, we are talking with the voters. Yeah, we were talking to everybody. You know, you don't you don't you don't talk with the fascists. And so to conclude our conversation, I would like to complete the circle that we've started with, which is your work as an MEP. It's been the first half a year that you've been on the job, a couple of months of the new commission of the Ursula von der Leyen being kind of uh, in the job. We've published the first uh, Green Deal proposals. So what is your impressions of, of the job and of the new European Commission being in place with the green priorities being on absolute top of the agenda? Do you have hope for this commission to fulfill on the expectations of what you've also been promising in the campaign? Part of my job is to to make the commission accountable for them and push them to to do it. But I think it's not yeah pushing is probably the wrong word. I think it's to work with the commission and to work with the member states because this is not about you know being environmentally friendly. Right now, the scientists are telling us very clearly this is about the survival of the civilization. It's it's really, really serious. We don't have much time left. The climate is, crisis is here. Uh, this is a serious threat that we face. This is a civilizational threat. And at the same time, it's an amazing opportunity to make Europe and the entire world much better place for all of us. Combined with that, and we shouldn't just talk about climate, combined with that, you have the issue of the massive biodiversity loss. We're losing uh, pollinators on alarming things. So it's not just the forests, but we're losing bees and pollinators. And without that, we don't have food. That's why one of my focus uh, is hazardous chemicals and especially pesticides. 
And I'm very happy that kind of political judge is one of the most influential people on the topic. So that's another part. And then uh, we, of course, have to look at the whole circle economy because we cannot extract so much from the planet and dump it as a waste. We need to close the material loop. And that's a fundamental change, but a change that can make the economy of Europe uh, way better because we need to change from kind of classical product-based model, production-based models and kind of into way more service-based models of companies looking to provide a transport service instead of selling cars. And that will have not just a positive environmental impact, but that will have also wider impacts on society and we need to find a way how to make it positive for not just the environment or companies but above all also for the people. That's why I'm a great believer in making this the just transition. So when you go home and you speak to your kids what is your message that you give them about the people that you work with at work when they ask you how are your colleagues? What is your impression after the first months of working in Brussels? Are the right people in the right place in order to fulfill on this? What's needed to be done in the couple of years? There are a number of, of great people around in, in commission, in council, in the parliament, of course. But whether we are the right people to deliver it, that's the time will tell. We have to do the utmost. This is the crucial commission, in my view. This is the crucial legislature. We have to start delivering. We cannot wait until 2050. We cannot wait until 2030. We need to start decreasing the emissions now. We need to halt and reverse the loss of biodiversity now. We have to now start reducing our resource consumption. Starting with each and every one of us at home. Uh, starting with each and every one of us, but the people shouldn't believe that uh, it's on. It, it is about our, uh, every one of us to change what we do, but we have to also change the system because we are the system. And uh, therefore we need to use uh, our power as a consumers and as a citizens to make sure that our children have future. Thank you very much. Thank you. For listening, for follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!